You're listening to Microspy, a podcast that takes a closer look at the lives and work of musicians and creatives I admire. My name is Eric Rattisberger. In this episode, I speak with Jeff Howe of the legendary hardcore band Reversal of Man. He also played bass in Combat Wounded Veteran and is currently playing in the band Horsewhip. Jeff is also the co-founder of Gnaw Dogs, an all-vegan hot dog stand which he runs with his wife in St. Petersburg, Florida. Jeff and I talk about Reversal of Man's history and the challenges they faced and endured through their end. We also talk about the biggest takeaways of punk rock, friendship, perseverance, and how Rom turned an unfortunate conflict into a song that to this day, people still talk about. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jeff Howe of Reversal of Man. get a little bit more insight to the world of reversal man when you guys were fully in the thick of it you know like like when i think of that i think of the 10 inch revolution summer i think about how much that record changed my life when i was younger how much it affected me when i became acquainted with the band when i saw the band live um it was like nothing i've ever seen before well thank you first of all (laughs) Always, it's, it's, I mean, it's always cool to hear like something we did, you know, 20 plus years ago is people still think about it, which is insane. That's very cool. I'm sure you guys get the same thing, you know, playing shows again, you know, what was it, 18 years later? It's unreal. Um, it's, it's weird. Obviously, those summers that we were able to go on tour were very memorable always funny <laughs> um, but yeah I, I think after the 10 inch came out that was we went and did a summer with ASUC I think it was if I remember correctly it's, it's either 49 or 52 days straight a show Holy every shit. day except Holy for shit. one one show in Texas that we skipped out on because it was in somebody's dirt filled backyard um, and it was real weird I think uh Affleck called the shots that day. They're like, we're not playing. So you guys can if you want to. I think we all just decided to move on. <laughs> um, it, was, it was a little odd, but probably not the coolest thing we could have done, but I don't think any of us really wanted to, to do it. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you just got to make an executive decision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a ton of stories from then. And then, of course, we had like the Northeast portion where we did that tour with Locust and Jenny Piccolo which was awesome, you know, getting to see them every night along with ASUC was always fun. I mean, at the time, those bands, including Reversal, I think even at the time, people knew that there was something really important going on. At least I thought there was. Like, I knew that you guys were a band that were were clearly carving your own path, doing it your own way, and, and really having an impact on, on kids not only across the country but across the globe i mean i know you guys did some touring in europe as well but mm-hmm. but specifically thinking about the time when when the locust and reversal man were playing shows when when of course you know my first time seeing you guys was when jd played with with Suck and reversal up in new hampshire which yeah, was yeah. like i think just shortly before then my jeff my like in drum's dream you know we mm-hmm. discovered reversal on a cassette tape, I think um, it was like you guys and, and Puritan. But I would say that 
Reversal of Man's live show was, to this day, like probably one of the most intense live experiences I've ever had. And so maybe less so like specific stories about the time that you guys were touring, but maybe more so just about like your own personal relationship with the music and the, the especially the playing live. Like I can only imagine that you guys collectively and individually like sharing that type of exchange, sharing that type of energy was, was, was very specific and very important to you guys. What can you tell me about that? We were all best friends, you know, like, like you said, I think sharing that, that moment every night with these guys, people still, I still talk to, to this day, you know, um, it was a special time. It was, <laughs> um, I don't know, like, honestly, I think just sharing the moment and traveling with these guys and watching Matt act like an animal <laughs> when we were playing live <laughs> was something else, you know, like, I think we all fed off of his energy and we would just kind of get out there and play and have fun. And hopefully people were into it, you know, I have particular memories of when you guys played songs like, like Qantas or Hills have eyes, you know, those two songs for me, I can put them on now and and still be like transported to this, this place where it like the, the level of intensity and, um, you know, just the the expression and, you know, when I saw that live, it was like a whole other thing. And it's interesting to get that added perspective of someone who was, who was actually, you know, a part of creating it, but it just seemed like you guys were, were such a, such an intact unit. And um, yeah, and and it clearly showed that you guys were, were all very tight and, um, and it was like this collective outpouring of expression. And I don't know. I don't know how many people are doing it the way you guys were back then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said, like we were, we were all tight back then. Like, like you said, Qantas. You bring that up. Like that was about a letter that Dan Raddy wrote to us before he was in the band, and like word for word, the song is portions of the letter. It was not long after that that our guitar player at the time. Just didn't he didn't really want to do it anymore. We didn't know what to do, and Dan played a little bit of guitar, and we ended up uh, asking him to play guitar. So it was kind of cool that he inspired this song. You know, we all wrote it, and then not long after that, he was in the band playing it with us. So I think that that song was always special, playing that live. And I think we probably probably played it almost every show after that. Dan's uh, he's doing awesome. He's uh, we actually did a, another little band together and this is a couple of years ago that him and Sean and our friend Mike were doing called Fathers. They recorded three songs and they put them out and I was floored by and just talking to them and they're like, hey, you want to play bass? Like, yeah, of course. And it's kind of like a more uh, like dark wavy type stuff, kind of very Depeche mode <laughs> Um <laughs> It was awesome. It's like the songs are so good, and it was hard because the one of us lived in Atlanta at the time. So it was hard to keep it up with all of us. So that was when me and Sean kind of strayed and decided to play some heavy music. I see that that Matt is also killing it on the on the BMX front <laughs> and like super involved in, in bikes, and he's doing his thing too. It seems like yeah, I, I, he's still. I think he's still writing as well. Yeah, he's published two books. 
one of them is like a split book with a friend of his, which was pretty cool. But yeah, he's doing awesome. I saw him Friday. He came to the show Friday night. He's Matt Copeland. He's yeah. the same guy as he ever was, and it's always good to see him. It must be cool to um, you know to obviously still have these friendships after all these years, and then you know of course you're you're playing in horsewhip, and like it's cool to see to see that he's still coming out and supporting and. Yeah, for sure. Like I think before he showed up, he asked if the venue had coffee because it was late. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's uh, he's definitely not a, a night owl, but yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah. He comes out when he can, and it's awesome seeing him. Speaking of Horsewhip, the the new band with you and 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 Sean and and a couple of your other really good friends. I mean, for me, when I when I saw you guys when we played with each other in in the fall. It's awesome to see the, the new band. It's, it's awesome to hear what you guys are doing, and and it's it's funny because you know when I see you playing, I still think about how long ago I actually saw you playing with re- Reversal, and just like to to really think about how much time has gone by. Would you say that like now that you're playing, you're still playing punk rock music, and and you're you're playing shows and and all that. How much of the mindset would you say carries over from from when you were younger and when you were playing in ROM and, and now like in 2020 playing in Horsewhip, is the feeling the same for you? Or would you say, are you getting something else from playing with Horsewhip? Um, I mean, right now, like, you know, all of us are, I just turned 40 last year. Two of the other guys are above 40 and Alex, our drummer, is, he's almost there. So right now it's like, uh, it's an excuse to hang out with our friends at the same time, make some fun music and it's fun to play and also get out some aggression, if you will, you know. I think a little different these days just because we've all got our lives going on a lot more than go on tour in the summertime, come home and work a horrible job for a few months and go back out on tour. So right now, like, you know, everyone's, you know, there's wives, there's kids, there's partners, there's dogs, you know. There's a lot more in the mix now but we, we do what we can, you know, just yeah. like you guys. I know everyone's got their own thing going on. You guys don't all live in the same town even. It's a little harder these days, but we do what we can, you know. It definitely creates a different landscape when, you know, people live in different cities and, and when people have have their lives, you know. I mean, that's one thing that I'm sort of, I've been trying to just get more of an understanding of, like, how to, how to balance it, you know, because... I've always been someone to like, you know, go like 120% yeah. in like anything, like in anything. And like with, and with this band and I'm 40 as well. And to bring this band back the way we did, it was, um, it was really challenging to do at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. And it was both like a, a miracle that we were able to do it. And it was also, it was also in a, in a ways in ways really difficult because of this tapping into a particular mindset that you had when you were twenty it's mm-hmm. it is a weird thing in terms of how things evolve over time, but how much punk rock still like means to you or, and 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 then you kind of reevaluate reevaluate the reasons why you do it you know at least this is where i'm coming from like like my own personal relationship with it and it's been an interesting couple of years because of that where it's like wait am i 
supposed to be tapping into like my my angry 18-year-old self or <laughs> or like am I doing this for other reasons? It's like what are the things that you're tapping into? Yeah. Um, I I feel like it's uh, you know, it's kind of all of the above, you know. It's whatever you're feeling at the time. It's because of punk rock is everything that I do is, you know, the way we live, our ideals down to the way you dress, you know, I'm a 40-year-old that wears all black all the time, you know, like it's just it's just one of those things. It's it's helped formed us as people. And I think it's also kept us pretty youthful, which is pretty awesome. We'll like run into people that my wife went to high school with here in St. Pete. You know, we'll be at Home Depot and see them and say, oh, I went to high school with that person. I was like, no way. They're at least 10 years older than you. Like, it's crazy. Um, it's just, I, I think it's, I think it's kept us youthful for the most part. Well, I had a similar conversation with, with Justin uh, the Locust and, uh, you know, we we're talking about just how we're, we're older and it's so funny because I, I don't know if this is going to become a theme of the podcast because, you know, I'm interviewing all my old friends, but like, you know, as older punks, you kind of, you kind of look back on it and think like, here, here we are older and wiser, <laughs> but yeah, but, but we, but we, yeah, like, like having this thing in our pockets that is punk rock, having these, these ideals, these values that have been instilled in, in, in us, it's like, it definitely affects how you go about your daily life. Like you said, like you're at Home Depot, which is like a very like you know, <laughs> domestic thing to do. Like you have to get like mm-hmm. a new pump for the toilet or like some like <laughs> Clorox disinfectant wipes. It's like, but you're carrying this, this history with you, you know, that you're carrying this experience and this, this community and, and culture with you that has, it's been so important throughout the years in terms of just how we, how we kind of go about our, our day to day, really. It's yeah. like really, it's, yeah. it's really special, right? It's, it's like, even if we, even if we can't maybe be a thousand percent like we were when we were kids, like how, how is that even possible anyways? Right. And why, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's, it's cool to like when we played in the fall, like it was, it was just the coolest thing to know that we were among people who, who were there as well back in the day. And, kind of understand the origins of, of all of this stuff. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, uh, you know, we talk about it all the time. We'll be at a show and, oh, we're the oldest people here. What's dad doing here? So, like, <laughs> it, it, it's cool to see, like, what you guys are doing, playing shows. It's cool to see other people that were in punk bands or still are in punk bands doing stuff. Like, I mean, look at Justin's in a band with a drummer from, like, a band that we idolized when we were barely teenagers, you know, like, and now he's playing in a band with them. It's, it's insane. That's wild. Two of them. I mean, like Mike Patton and uh, Dave Lombardo. Like that's insane to me, but it's, it's cool. It's, you know, well, it, it, it goes to show that those who, who have kind of stuck with it or who have kind of remained true to the, the culture and, 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 and just, well, actually, I, I'll I'll back that up. It's 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 more so to see Justin doing it the way he is and and who he's doing it with. It's it's like holy shit, you know. It's like this is this is the same person that was in the Locust or in Swing Kids or Struggle, mm-hmm. who were playing basement shows, and now now he's playing in bands with other you know legendary artists, musicians, yeah, yeah, punks. Like like yeah, it's wild. 
It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. I love it. What are your thoughts about the younger kids? What are your thoughts about the bands who came after uh, bands like The Locust or Reversal Man? Like, 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 what what are your thoughts on seeing new bands who are kind of carrying the torch of DIY hardcore? It's cool to see. It's it's like I said, it's for somebody to think a band that existed for five years is an inspiration still today. It's unreal. It's cool. I also like after. You know, after Reversal Man broke up, I played in Combat Wounded Veteran for a little bit, and then we broke up. After that, I kind of, I kind of fell off of punk rock for a while. I don't know if it was being jaded or what. I just, I think I didn't know what to do with my life at the time because that was all I did. I, was, I played in punk bands, went on tour in the summertime, and came home and repeated that. So I, I didn't know what to do, and I, that, that, that's when I went back to school and you know, started working and stuff. And not that I didn't hold on to ideals and I always consider myself a punk kid, but I just didn't involve myself too much, you know. I had a similar trajectory. After after we broke up, I, I kind of did the same thing where I just kind of abandoned the, the, the world, you know, like, like mm-hmm. not the world, but like the world of punk. Like I, I was living up in Massachusetts with Will from Orchid at the time, mm-hmm. uh, we had um, a house up in Amherst called the Rock House, and that's actually where we. It was the first iteration of Dead Air Studios was in that garage. Okay. And total fire hazard. It was lined with carpet, but not a not a really not a really safe environment. But uh, either way, um, after that, I kind of just up and left and, and moved to New York. You know, and when I moved to New York to go to school, it was it was years before I even you know, even really brushed elbows with anyone who was a part of that world, you know, and mm-hmm. would, you, would you say when you left, did you have a feeling like what, what someone brought up an interesting point to me recently? I said like, well, maybe, maybe you left punk rock at the time because what's required of you as someone who plays this type of music, it's like a lot, you know, it's like really like just the overall mindset and uh, relationship that you have with with music, and and when you're playing this this loud, heavy, aggressive music, it, it, it's like beyond the physical uh, requirements. I just feel like the emotional requirements. Are, it's, it's very, it's exhausting, and it's almost like, I, at least for me, like I felt like I had I had to just leave it all to like give myself room to breathe mm-hmm. and re and recalibrate, you know. Yeah, yeah, I can I can relate to that. Yeah, like I said, I I lived in St. Pete at the time when I was going to school, and when I was done with school, I up and left, and I lived in of all places, South Carolina for a little while. What was I, there I for I, you? Uh, it was just it's just a job right out of school. Uh, I went and just to get some experience doing what I was doing, and I met like one person that was into punk music, and you know we. We talked about it a little bit. Oh, you know, I did this band and this band, you know, that kind of stuff. But that was about it. And then after that, I moved up to Columbus, Ohio and lived there for a bit. And, of course, knew people up there from punk bands. And everyone just kind of did their own thing. And we still hung out. And every once in a while, went to, like, a show or something. But I would, would not say that it was a majority of what we did. But we definitely kept in touch and hung out, and it's again still people I talk to to this day that you know we met in the mid '90s going on tour, and 
stopping in Columbus, Ohio. We're playing with their bands in other cities, you know. But honestly, like the the biggest take out of a lot of it is the friendships that uh, you've made and have kept over all these years and the places we've been able to go to, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really, it's a really good point because honestly, it hasn't been until recently where I, I, I'm realizing how just how important the friendships are that I've fostered over the years. And I think it's it's just I think time has sort of just taken its its course where you there there's enough time that's gone by where you're like, Wow, like these people are still around me in one way or another. You know, it doesn't matter if logistically we're three thousand or six thousand miles apart. It's like there are people in your, your life who still have some kind of involvement or or some kind of impact and you know a lot a lot of people in my life too are are those I've met 25 years ago going to shows or playing shows together touring um and it, I just I still can't believe it after all these years um yeah <laughs> you realize you realize that the people who who are like really a part of your life you know who've really helped shape your your world as a person, not just a punk, but just like, yeah. you know, and like you said, there was a real emphasis on friendship. And and I always kind of knew of that with Reversal, just like how you guys, even though the music was so ag- aggressive and heavy and blistering and unrelenting and, <laughs> and expressive, I mean, but that's really what it, what it comes down to. It's just the, ex- the expression. But you guys were always, it seemed to be always about positivity and, and like unity. And I always yeah, loved yeah, for sure. I always I always loved that. Yeah, that was uh I think definitely a, a main focus for us. And of course, you know, after you know, going through guitar players or even breaking up, you kinda of make a joke like, you know, oh friends forever. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it's and it's funny to think about like stuff like that. And, you know, not not all friendships last and not not everyone is who you think they are sometimes, you know. You know, we had a, a falling out with other people. For instance, it would be John, the drummer from Reversal. We all mm-hmm. kind of had a falling out. And he lives in St. Pete. I still see him every once in a while and say hi, you know. It's about the yeah. extent of it. But I have nothing against the guy. He does his thing now. He looks the same exact as he did back then. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's 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 fun to see him every once in a while and talk a little bit and but definitely not as tight as like you know me or and Dan or Matt yeah, or even yeah. even Chris Chris Norris sometimes just when he feels like showing his face. <laughs> Very elusive. <laughs> he yeah. is. He is. It makes me think about the. I hate to say it, like like but yeah I mean like like the final day of the reversal. It was weird because I remember when you guys were. I think you were were you playing as a three piece at the very mm-hmm. end. It's almost like. Over time, the band—I don't want to say crumbled—but there was like this this view of this band just almost like hanging on for dear life. And I think at yeah, one point yeah. it was just—it it wasn't it just you, Matt, and what happened? It, it was—it was in in '99. We were we booked like a like a seven or eight week tour with Combat Wounded Veteran. Mm-hmm. Dan was playing in both bands every night. I think we were maybe two weeks into it and guitar player at the time was this kid Jason and he uh 
who ended up playing in Aztec as well. Right? He, he, yeah, he played bass in Aztec at the end. Um, he just uh, not to like bash anyone or, but he he was taking things a little differently than we were taking it maybe a little too seriously. In what in what way can you can you expand uh, on like the differences? We I guess we just didn't see eye to eye anymore. Um, like I said, it was two weeks into the tour, and like he was he was doing things like you know he he had to sleep with the money bag. <laughs> as stupid as it sounds, um, we had a friend with us that was on tour with us, and that's usually was their their thing. They dealt with the merch and the money and all that stuff, and. He just didn't trust anyone, it seemed like. And, mm. uh, so we got to a point where two weeks into a seven or eight week tour and we basically had to ask him to leave. And uh, so he left. And then the next day, Matt got some news from home and he wanted to go home and spend time with his grandma, which was perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. He, at the time, lived with his grandma. You know, he was very close. Mm. And so he chose to go home and spend time with his grandma, which you can't nothing but respect for that, you know? So he went and from then it was me, Dan and John. And, uh, that's right. That's right. Matt Matt wasn't even there. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just the three of us. So me and Dan had to figure out how to scream everything while we were playing. And Dan was a lot quicker at catching onto it than I was. (laughs) And he sounded a lot better than I did. I sounded like a a dying bird. Um, (laughs) we made it work, you know, it was probably, two days into it until we finally were like, okay, this is it. This is how we're doing it. And we, and did, did, you, did you, see it, did you saw it through? You saw those, those. Yeah. Yeah. We were seven weeks through. Yeah. We, we finished the tour, came home and, you know, reevaluated a little bit. And, uh, Matt didn't want to, he was still involved. He didn't want to quit the band or anything. He just didn't want to be away from home for eight weeks, which is understandable. So we got home and reevaluated and, I think that's when uh, Chris started playing guitar with us. And then it was a year later, we went to Europe. And while we were there is when Matt said he didn't, he didn't want to do the band anymore when we got home. And, you know, we joked about it and we're like, okay, you know, we'll figure it out. And we also had a two week tour booked when we got home. So we asked him, we were like, what do you want to do? He's like, I don't, I don't want to go on tour back home. So, okay, we'll just do what we did last year. And then, of course, the I think it was the night before we were supposed to leave. After we got home from Europe, the night before we were supposed to leave on a two-week East Coast tour, basically, you know, we I think we got an email from John, his girlfriend, saying he wasn't going to go. <laughs> and so that's when we we called Till the Man in Questions. That's who we were doing the whole tour with, and basically told them we can't go. We don't have a drummer or a singer. Jeremy from Kill the Man. He said, well, "I'll play drums for you guys." And we said okay, <laughs> and so we were we were uh, a couple of days late to that tour. We had to cancel the first couple of shows. We stayed in town. A friend's father passed away, so we stayed for that. And then we drove straight from Florida to DC to play a show that we never practiced for with a drummer that we had never played. I think we made it through maybe one song. <laughs> Man, um, so it, you know, the next couple of nights we would just go back to Philly and practice and I think probably three or four days into it we got it down and finished the tour and then the last show was in Gainesville. Matt met us there and played the show with us in Gainesville and that was it. 
You know, it's crazy to hear you talk about it because I think a lot of people, I mean, how would they know? How how would people really know, like, how rough the trajectory of, of the band actually was and, like, all of the, the, the challenges and hurdles you had to overcome and, and also not not what you had to overcome but how you actually overcame it. And uh, what I admire just by hearing you talk about it is – the, the persistence and perseverance that you you kind of deployed in the midst of it, you know, it's like rather than just say, oh, well, you know, John's not playing drums anymore or, you know, Matt had to go home for family-related things. Like, you still did it and you, mm-hmm. you, you pushed through. And I think that's a really impressive and admirable thing to, to hear that, that you, you didn't give up you just push through and you, you still made it happen. And um, the, the struggle is real. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Well, I think, I think we also, you know, felt like we, we made a commitment to people yeah. to play these shows and whether we did it and, you know, whether we were five of us or three of us, we were still going to do it. It was still us. You know, I think like both times that Matt wasn't able to go, we didn't hold it against him ever. You know, it's just, Right. We didn't want to do it. That was fine. We were still, I think, uh, as much as we could represent him there, you know. So it was a crazy time for sure. And and again, like, uh, you know, we made lifelong friends out of that. Like Jeremy from Kill the Man, who played drums on our last tour for two weeks. Like he came down, to, him and his wife came down to Florida for my wedding, like stuff like that. Like it's been cool. We definitely have, through all the, the trials and tribulations, have made good friends, and I think that's the positive out of it, you know. When you're a part of something that's already, in a way, and I've always, I've always equated it to being like a sacred space in terms of growing up in punk rock and being exposed to underground music. And um, it's almost like when you meet people within this scene, it's sort of like you, you, it, it, there's like a nod or something like, oh, you, you know, you know about this stuff too, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And so when you it's, stack on, when you stack on top of that, you know, not just being, not just establishing that you, you're coming from a similar place, but when you share these experience, like you're talking about like, um, Again, like I think that like Jeremy from Kill the Man coming in to play drums for Reversal, like that's a really, that's a very specific um, shared experience that you'll never forget for the rest of your yeah. life. Just like yeah. in terms of yeah. how you guys made that happen, you know? Yeah, for sure. The other thing to consider is everyone was so young, and again, like like. When you look back on this as someone a little bit older, and you, you think about what we were able to pull off and construct when we were kids, it, it still <laughs> blows my mind that that. Yep. I mean, again, never, never underestimate never underestimate the power of the youth. Holy shit! Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's like we, we're, we're we're living proof. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, like one of my favorite not stories to tell, but like just I guess facts was yeah my my first tour with Reversal Man. It was just a quick like you know up. To, I think Chicago was the farthest we went. I was 15 years old. I couldn't even drive. Like, it's just like unreal. Like, to think like now, like, you know, I have friends that have kids that are 
13, thinking mm. about them doing that in two years is like, no way, that's insane. Um, I was lucky enough to have parents that supported it and they were cool, you know, that with me going and doing my thing. See, that's all, that's a very interesting thing to, to, to learn is that your parents were supportive of you doing this at such a young age where mm. I think most, most circumstances people or kids were, were going against what their parents wanted for them, you know, and, and I was sort of in the middle where like my I think my parents supported the fact that I was playing music, but I, they they didn't understand what punk rock was, and especially mm-hmm. hardcore. They didn't know what what I was involved in. But it's amazing it's, when you had like this experience of of parents being supportive of that. It's very cool. Yeah, yeah. It, it's the same thing. Like they were, you know, my parents were okay with it. Like it's just kids who they knew we weren't getting into trouble and doing right. drugs and stuff. So. I think that's kind of one of the things that made them okay with it, you know. I think that's what my parents felt too. Like they they knew I wasn't getting into like any kind of situations with drugs or or crime or anything like that. Like, yeah. Oh, they're just like ragamuffin-looking kids playing loud music. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, well, you know. Speaking of Straight Edge, I wanted to ask you about the song "Get the Kid with the Sideburns." Okay. Now I think. I, <laughs> I think a lot of people in our circles know about that song and know where it came from, but I'd, I'd be curious to hear it from you from you to talk about what happened and what inspired that song. There was a show happening in Tampa. The Earth Crisis show was in St. Pete, and there was a punk show in Tampa. I think there probably should have been more kids at that show than going to Heckle Earth Crisis. All in all, whatever it is, what it is, we wrote a funny song about it. It's not that I didn't feel those things. It's uh, it's an odd story. I think Matt actually wrote an explanation for it somewhere, and it's on the Internet somewhere. I can't say for sure where. Um, it's probably more so, I mean, of course, because Matt was directly affected by it. Um, Matt was the kid with the sideburns. <laughs> exactly. Honestly, I think it was they were going all in good fun. I mean, you guys played in Tampa before. It was commonplace for a band to get heckled in Tampa. It's just, mm. it was just part of the territory. I'm sure Justin Pierce can tell you the same thing because they got heckled pretty hard here. Some people take it well, some people don't. I'd say a majority of people don't take it well. Um, you don't see that often anymore. But uh, a bunch of people went to go heckle Earth Crisis, and it turned into something else. And it turned into something that Matt decided to write some lyrics about and we were totally open to ripping off an earth crisis riff for it and made it a fun song to play a song that you know got us threatened quite a few times you'll never play Syracuse you know stuff like that and it was just like whatever it's it's a thing it still comes up in conversation it, it's just a thing whatever like yeah people want to take it take it pretty hard that's fine well, but one of the reasons why I bring it up is because I feel like the amount of time that's gone by and, and the fact that we can sort of look back on it as like a thing that happened. And of course, I, I, I don't know the exact extent of it, but I know that it, it happened. And I think it just reminds me of a little bit of what I talked about with Justin in terms of like violence and, and hatred and division within mm-hmm. like underground punk rock. It's a really yeah. interesting concept because 
the landscape of, of punk is it, it draws a lot of people who are like looking to escape from something or they're looking to um have a a channel to to express themselves however they feel like they need to but i think within the territory right there's always mm-hmm. there's always like this level of there's a level of violence and hate and aggression that is that that gets sort of put on people within the community and it's kind of fucked yeah. up you know because yeah, yeah. We um, all, we all have like, we all, when we were younger, we all came to this place, this community, this scene, to kind of avoid all of that. At least, at least, I think a lot of us did. But then, like, I think, especially young, angry kids at the at the time, were like ticking time bombs, and yeah, yeah, they just they just had a different concept of like what it was all about. And um, and I'm speaking generally. I'm not I'm not necessarily talking about anyone specific. I think my my inquiry about that song was sort of the springboard to that, you know, just like this sort of in, internal you know, strife between different people. No, that was the thing too, you know, is they had the same ideals that we did. Yeah. And that was, I think a line from the song was something that was so important to us is ruined by somebody who is, an asshole basically and right who like kind of countered the, yeah. the values that and like we should we shouldn't be fighting each other like this is crazy but again like i said i wasn't there i didn't see the whole thing i've read the stories what it was so all i can say is you know secondhand from what my friends have told me you know um it's just it's just just one of them things you know like we're not definitely not the only people to write a song about them you know there's there's mm. some other ones out there. <laughs> uh, but for some reason, this one got focused on. Maybe it's because we straight up took the Firestorm risk that they took from Slayer anyway. So it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something, there's also something really um, admirable about how you took a circumstance and turned it into a song that is so deliberate with intention and message that, like, I mean, to me, that's like the epitome of, you know, unabashed expression. I just thought mm-hmm. it was just fucking awesome, and it was brave, and it was it was a real big fuck you. Yeah, it, like I said, I think at the time it was definitely definitely a fuck you. Now, you know, it's 20, almost 25 years later, and I mean, if somebody was to come up to me now and have <laughs> a hard time about it, I'd probably laugh about it, you know. I have friends that are way more involved in that type of hardcore than I ever was. And we have shared stories and it's, it's funny now. I don't know. Like, like I said, we, we shared ideals. It's not something, I don't know. It's silly to fight about, I guess. Maybe they yeah. should have written a song about us, but <laughs> who knows? Yeah, man. I mean, it, 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 it suddenly, <laughs> it suddenly changes when you're 40 and you have, you know, you have different priorities and, yeah. you know, I feel like when you're younger, the world of punk rock it becomes very concentrated and mm. amplified because yeah. that's sort of what you're living and breathing 24/7 so every every little thing every turn every you know glitch it's like yeah. that much more louder because that's really all you have in front of you yeah and, and so funny now too i think like even like worlds kind of colliding like playing in hardcore punk bands now like 
uh, I think his name's Scott, that's played in Earth Crisis, played guitar in Earth Crisis, is in that band Sect, which right. are killer. Like, they're an awesome band. I haven't had a chance to see them or anything, but, like, I would definitely go. I would hope there would be no hard feelings, whatever, but, like... I would hope not. I, you know, it'd, see, it'd seem silly at this point, but, like, they're a killer band, you know? So, anyways. Yeah, anyways. <laughs> I know. I had to ask. <laughs> Who are some of the bands that you can kind of just fire off, you know, that were part of the the Florida hardcore scene? Like, what were some of the standout bands in your eye at the time that were doing interesting things? Uh, man, I mean, obviously, I, I think probably one of the first ones anyone would say is Asuk. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. They're, you know, the greats, obviously. Scrog was huge for us here. Which I don't know how big they got outside of Florida, I've never heard of them, actually. Oh, man, they were awesome. They were just kind of heavy, heavy as can be, like kind of sludgy, and they were they were something else. I guess later on in the day, it was like Floor for us. It was huge. Think of bands like Palatka or like... Oh, God, yeah, of course. You know, like End of the Century Party were from down there as well, am I right? Yep, yep, yep they were from Tampa. Yep, all those, those bands um, were awesome. Seems like Florida... Geographically, there's just something about the I mean, whatever whatever's in the water down there, <laughs> you know. Like like <laughs> like you you all just like have such a. I mean, it, it just seemed like so many incredible bands came out of the Florida area, whether it's Tampa or Gainesville, or you know, I, I think some of these bands were even from like Sarasota and like mm-hmm. you know. I have one memory when I was younger. I went down to Florida. I can't even remember exactly what this. I don't know why I went down there, but I was young and I, w- I went to a show in Vero Beach, mm. and I saw that band Discount play. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Seeing Discount and then someone like 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 Allison Mosshart who like went on mm-hmm. being bands with like Jack White and um, yeah. and uh, of course uh, Dead Weather, and then um, yeah. You know all her other bands, but it, it, it's just wild to think just how how long ago it was when I saw her in one of these DIY spaces playing in Discount, and then you know similar to like Justin Pearson playing with Dave Lombardo and Mike Patton. It's like punk kids could hold their own. You know, we we yeah, could yeah. play we could we could play with with whoever we want and bring our own shit to the table. And uh, I mean, yeah, and the list goes on. Basically, I'm just I'm digging in the archives as well, like thinking like. You know how just how many bands came out of the Florida scene is it's it's, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, Florida it, I think had something special back then. I think it still does sometimes. Like you know we get you know shots sometimes and like a band will pop up and like uh, and played a few shows with a band from Gainesville called Thunderclap. That's actually Discount's last bass player that they had. Oh well, wow. yeah, I've heard of I've heard of them. Yeah, they're pretty great. And then Dan from Combat, he's they're still doing uh, Meat Wound. That's mm. pretty great. Um, I think they're. I think I think they just got a new drummer. I believe. But yeah. So there, there's still people around. There's still still punk bands. And then there's you know a, a new generation of younger kids 
Um, yeah, Gadgetway, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know where they all live, but definitely a Florida band, and they're great. They're great at what they do. Do you know what, what, what Steve from Assuck is, is, is doing these days? I have, I, the last time I heard from him was 2005, I think. But I don't, I don't think he talks to anybody that I know of. Um, but yeah, I think Steve kind of dropped off after Assuck and I think at one point moved to Hawaii. I couldn't say if that's where he is now or I have no clue, honestly. Steve, like, like, just Assuck in general, just like, I, I've seen old videos of them and I just feel like someone like Steve was, uh, sort of like a very special human being you know yeah i mean he was they were like metal dudes playing metal music but with a punk and hardcore mentality you know know. if you you ever asked them like on tour with them in 98 if you asked them what kind of band is asked they'd tell you a straight edge hardcore band yeah (laughs) which was hilarious you know but uh, oh so fucking cool so i mean there, there, there will never be another band like that no, no, they were, that was something special. I think it's special to punk kids, special to hardcore kids, and special to uh, metal dudes, grindcore people. You know, like that was a band that was just special. Um, yeah, I mean, was, you put on put on Misery Index, and it still holds up. So I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's pretty crazy. Uh, I think all of that still holds up. It's it's funny, like now, like you know, every once in a while we'll get together with Matt and Dan, like the, at least the three of us, and we'll talk about, you know, stories and it'll almost always be like, Oh, I don't remember that. Or I don't remember it that way. <laughs> Somebody, each person remembers things either a different way or just from their perspective. And it's always cool to hear it, you know? And also like over the last few years, I've been trying to archive, you know, pictures and flyers and anything, anything that has to do with universal man. Oh, it's so uh, important. Yeah, every once in a, yeah, every once in a while, but like, there's a reverse only on Facebook page, which is silly, but it's also a great place to have an archive. You know, I think it's really important. I mean, I, I, that's that's one of the reasons why I started a uh, an Instagram for for JD was mm-hmm. to kind of preserve all the flyers that I just happened to hang on to and like the old photographs and stuff. I'm like, okay. This stuff, I need to at least have it somewhere where it's not going to get lost. Yeah, it's important. And, you know, I think about how there's so much that hasn't been revealed or told or, or shared or, you know, just because it wasn't documented properly. And, and yeah, yeah. I think I think in our time, because the Internet really wasn't around until later on, and we were just sort of doing what we were doing. No one, I don't think anyone in our realm had any idea that this stuff would still have meaning or, or impact on, on, on people to this day, whether it's, you know, people our age who still visit it or even younger people mm-hmm. who discovered it along the way. It's like, at the time, all we did was what we did. And yeah, yeah, yeah. no one, no one knew that it was actually sort of writing punk rock history you know like like we were fans like ours had no we just did what we did mm-hmm. and then suddenly it became this like whole whole thing that people you know referenced in in in, in terms of like chaotic hardcore or screamo or whatever you want to call it i never really yeah, call it yeah. screamo i think that's kind oh of like a, a cheap, cringeworthy it's awesome. uh, yeah yeah <laughs> i mean 
It's not as awful as Scrams, but it's pretty fucking awful. Oh, God, yeah. We were just about to say it kind of cheapens it. It does. It, yeah, it's probably the best description I've heard of that is that it cheapens what, what we did. It's, I don't yeah. think we ever used that. And like, you know, people gave different, like, genres to whatever and just none of them made sense. Like, I don't know. It's just kind of silly. Like, I think I said a long time in an interview for Reversal Man, like, I just always kind of viewed it as being in a punk band. Same, you know? yeah. Like, I, I get that there's different uh, sub-genres of punk, but, like, it, it's a punk band. Like, that's, that's what it is. It's a DIY punk band. People have a tendency to want to slot things into a place they think it belongs. And it's it's a thing that I find a bit counter to the idea of, of what punk rock means to me. So, like, to put a label on something and not only that not only like a label beyond calling it hardcore or punk rock remo as a descriptor or scrams as a descriptor it makes me realize that there's a bit of a disconnect with Mm -hmm. with the people who are referring to bands like ours with those those descriptors it's kind of like okay like i don't think you were there (laughs) yeah yeah like like like, and and i i know some of those came later on in the in the probably late nineties, early two thousands. But it was just I think probably the first time I heard the word scream I was like, Oh gosh. That's awful. <laughs> That's bad. Right. Um I don't know, like I don't know. I guess it's along the lines of you know, the, I think there's an interview with Ian McKay, like they talking about the word emo and he's saying the same thing about it. He's like, I don't know what that means. It's you know Something like that. I can't remember what the interview was, but kind of along those lines, I guess. It's definitely a similar thing where a term or descriptor like emo is associated with with the wrong, like it has the wrong connotations now because of the like the the cultural butchering of the word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just kind of it kind of gets away from what it actually was, and it's like let's just get on with it, people. You yeah, know, yeah. I say just do you, you know, like like whatever yep, whatever exactly. it is you feel is is reflective of, you know, what you're trying to express or 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 if it or if it's accurate and it has intention and it's authentic, like who gives a fuck? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that was always my school of thought with Drum yeah. Dream, like we never we never adhered to any rules because we felt and we still feel that that's what it's about is not being dictated by what others expect of you. You just need yeah, to do yeah. just do do it the way you want. And I think that's why Reversal Man uh meant so much to me because I knew just by observation that that's what you guys did. Like For I sure. knew that yeah, I yeah. knew that you're a band that did exactly what you wanted and you had real intention and it was uh it was palatable, you know, the energy and um that's the shit that sticks with you, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like there are a lot of fans who who did it in their own way, but there was just something about you guys that um that just had staying power with me and um I mean I guess you you, you respond to what you respond to and you know, there are very few bands in my circle of, of, of punk bands that, that have truly had an impact on, on me, but 
Um, and not to put you on the spot, by the way, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just getting it out there. It's just like, you know, just acknowledging what the band did for me, what it did for Jerome's dream. And I think it was a lot, it had a lot to do with you guys as, um, as a group of, of kids who did things their own way and, um, were completely, I don't know, just, you, you, there was, there was a presence to what you did that is, it, you, you can't, you can't replicate it and you can't fake it, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. And like, honestly, like it's humbling to hear people talk about something we did so long ago. It affected enough people's lives that it's, it's humbling to us and we appreciate it. And we never once took it for granted. Yeah. It was just, it was part of us and that's what we did. And I think to a different effect still, it lives on in us, you know, it's, it's a part of us. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, please subscribe and share this on social media. You can also make a donation, buy a t-shirt, or simply send me a note of encouragement. That's always nice. Thanks for listening.